0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I'm your host, Vince
1: Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world To the show today, we have a special guest this morning, the leader of the company that I work for, and in many ways an an industry pioneer. His name is Sean Osher. He is the CEO of Core Real Estate, a boutique real estate firm here in New York City. A native of South Africa, Sean started in New York real estate with a Soho rental agency and later moved to Douglas Elliman, where he was a successful downtown broker for more than 15 years. In the wake of Element being bought by Prudential way back when, Sean took the opportunity and was inspired to found CORE in 2005. He and CORE have attained a considerable media profile from his work as a star of HGTV's reality show Selling New York, and I loved that show when it was on, uh, which examined the lives of high-end real estate uh, agents and also because of the talented agents that work at CORE, He is also a trained jazz saxophonist. We're going to talk about that. He used to play in live jazz bands across New York City and still goes to see shows when he has free time. He is the father of two young girls, and he lives in the West Village of Manhattan. Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to have you here today. Good to be here. So, you know, when I was doing some research and reading about you, I mean, I've, I've known about you for, for many years here, being in the business for 15 years myself. You have such a success story, and it's hard to, to kind of know where to begin, but I'm, I'd like to try and start at the beginning. So, for example, at the age of 21, you made a decision to get on a plane from your natis, native South Africa and come to New York and follow your
2: dreams. What were your
1: dreams at
2: 21 years old back in those days? Uh, my dreams back then were to pursue my uh, passion, which was playing jazz music, to learn as much as possible about the instrument, the saxophone, the music, and expose myself to everything I could globally, uh, but ultimately to come to New York and study with some of the greatest musicians uh, who were actively playing at that time. How did jazz come into your life? What What about a young
1: man you know, uh, inspired you enough to, to not only listen and appreciate jazz, but to want to go on and play and perform? Uh, as a jazz musician,
2: well, I mean, I, it's a very niche
1: market, pretty much in the music world.
2: Yeah, I think it evolved. Um, you know, I started playing guitar at a very young age, just because I wanted to. I had a couple of rock bands, uh, played around town, played at uh, clubs, events, and uh, through my passion of learning more and more about music, I discovered jazz through Charlie Parker. And when I heard a Charlie Parker record, I, you know, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before and i want to do understand the music learn about the music and one thing led to the next and uh, you know jazz is one of those things where the more you learn the more you realize you don't know about it so it's kind of a lifelong pursuit of studying and exploration. I can
1: almost understand that because when I listen to it from time to time, it's almost like it's a first time for me because it just seems so different and so intricate. Uh, but as a lover of music and with a background in acting, you come here with more talent. You came here rather with more talent than most. How did that work out for you? So you 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 arrive in, in New York City. You're a very young guy, uh, probably with very little money in your pocket. How, you know, how did that work out for you in the early days trying to figure out, is jazz gonna be my profession? Do I wanna continue with the music? Do I wanna get more into acting or, you know, all of the above? Or as, as a lot of us did way back when whatever came our way, we just kind of jumped on it and, and made it work.
2: Well, I think when, you know, when I was that young, it was more um, exploratory. I felt that I wanted to learn as much as possible from as many different sources as possible. And I was just very passionate and really wanted to pursue music at the time, came to New York. Uh You know, and they say ignorance is bliss. I knew that I was surrounded with the most incredible pool of talent around me. uh, And that was very exciting, not intimidating. And I think if, you know, if you have that attitude where you're not intimidated by things, but you're excited and encouraged by them, you know, things evolve and, and they happen organically. You played saxophone, as we
1: talked about a little while ago, at venues throughout the city. What were your expectations when you would take you know, your horn and go into these clubs? Did you want to be a big star or did you just want to play for the love of the music or a combination of all of the above? Again, very young, in a new, new world,
2: New York City from South Africa, must have been very intimidating. Well, I mean, I, I, my perception was completely off the mark. I thought that successful jazz musicians lived in huge houses and were very successful financially. Uh, when I came to New York, I realized that that was the exact opposite. Um, but that didn't deter me. It was really my love for the music, and my love uh, of playing the music that that drove me. Um, it was never I never felt the need to perform for a large audience, uh, even though I did from time to time. It was never about the audience. It was about my expression of myself through my instrument and the ability for me to do that through the means of of the music
1: before we talk about real estate so where where does music play in your life today where is jazz in your life today is it more recreational do you still wish to pursue you know some kind of performance where does it fit how does it fit in your life today
2: um i listen to it as often as i can which is every day um i play my i have a number of saxophones in different places so it's easy for me to pick it up when i feel like playing uh, for me right now it's actually very meditative um when i pick up the sax it's enjoyable um, I can play it for five minutes or as long as I have. Um, and you know it's still a very big part of who I am. Um, you know, I don't think you choose to be a musician. I think it it chooses you. And it's almost like I don't have a choice. It is what I am. It's a part of me, and uh, it's what I love to do. So after all this time, you still
1: find, you know, uh, appreciation or, you know, enough interest in it to stick with it and listen to it and, and meditate, so to speak, and, and, and get through our days and our weeks because people find all sorts of different venues to uh, come down from your day. So music is still doing that for you. M- music is still my number one passion. Absolutely. All right. So in 1994, you decided to enter the real estate business. Was that to kind of supplement your your income as a new young artist and musician here in town, or was it something that you always wanted to get into? <coughs> real uh, estate isn't for everybody, as you and I know, being
2: in the business for a long time. But how did that start? I, I think initially it was a means to an end. Um, I you know opened up the Village Voice, saw an ad for a company to be a real estate agent, make lots of money really easily. It sounded great. It happened to work out that way, which is rare. <laughs> it wasn't that easy, but uh, you know, it, it was something that initially was a means to an end. But the more I learned about it, the more I fell in love with it, the more I felt that it was another outlet for uh, my creative ability where I could be successful. And uh, it evolved organically, just like everything else generally does. So you started um, in, in, in the, on the
1: rental side of the business and you were running around doing rentals. How was that, you know, again, back in the early days in this town? I'm not that familiar with the rental business, you know, back 10, 15 years ago. Was that a hard uh, day, a hard um, thing to do? Because uh, people tell me today that it's also extremely difficult to run around with rentals, you know, on a daily basis and, and build a business
2: on the rental side. You know, if, if you don't know any better, then you don't know what you're missing, Right. um in hindsight yes it was difficult but at the time you know you face the challenge that's in front of you every day and you do what you can to overcome it so being a rental agent with no listings with no support with no data and no experience you know was a challenge but it's something that i overcome very quickly you know part of what i love about this industry and especially in the rental business is that it's very quick moving and you have to be creative um you know Every day in this business is a new day and you never know what the the day is going to bring. And that's even more so the case with rentals where things move much quicker. Uh, So it was actually very exciting uh, and it was very rewarding, not only financially, but on a personal note.
1: You moved over to the sales side, and, and for you know, a good 15 years or so, you worked at Douglas Elliman. You were a downtown um, superstar agent. I remember you in those days, hearing your name and, and, and properties, whatever that you were associated with. So, you go from rentals, you go to sales, you make a phenomenal success out of that. And before we talk about you know, the beginnings of CORE, which uh, I'm very interested in, but so how do you make that transition from a rental agent to becoming a super successful sales agent? You know, because I think the, the, you, you did that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the spirit and essence of what you do, whether it's renting a studio apartment or selling a huge building, which was the largest transaction of my career, I sold a, a monster building to Vornado, the, the fundamentals are still the same. Mm-hmm. You have to conduct yourself with the same attitude, the same spirit, um, the same... Uh, you know, level of professionalism, ethics, all of the same rules apply. The transaction is the only thing that's different. So it was a bit of a mindset to change from being a rental agent where you get quick cash on a lease to putting a deal in contract, waiting for the closing, making sure that you're patient, Um, you know, from a financial standpoint, it's different, Mm -hmm. but the essence of the job is essentially the same. And I felt that being successful at sales were a lot of the same things that, were needed to be successful doing rentals. It's a
1: mindset and it's a personality. You know, we, in the business, we sometimes talk about doing a studio deal versus a $15 million deal. They're basically the same from a transaction perspective. It's exactly the same. It's just the price point is different. But what you go through with your clients and with the transaction, it's pretty much all the same. So, you know, you were very successful as a sales agent. Um, you decided then to open your own company. And I know that the beginnings of Core were really based around new condo developments. You were selling, uh, I guess, back in the Douglas Element days, you were selling lots of new, new developments as well. So, how did you transition, you know, becoming a resale agent into new development and then opening your own new development firm? I spent a lot of years myself selling new developments when I was working at Halstead. So, I kind of understand both sides of the business and like them both equally. But you did something that I wanted to do and never did. You took it to the next level and created this firm that's become you know, more than a household word. So we're going to go to break in a few minutes, but give us a, a couple of seconds on how, what your thinking was in the beginnings of the core days. Why, why would we do leave a successful you know, sales career and go into now managing a company?
2: Well, because I felt at the time the market needed a company that focused on marketing, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all real estate agencies at the time were traditional real estate companies where they were focusing on the bottom line. Um, I feel that sales and marketing of real estate is actually sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, we. So I built a company which would support the agent and support uh, the growth of the real estate agent, which really was a focus on selling property. Uh, because I believe that if we service our clients at the highest level the real estate agent who works for us will be successful. So the focus of Core initially was to build a company that was more like an ad agency and a marketing company uh, with people who were experts at selling real estate. So those two things would combine and create a company that could deliver the highest level of service to not only the real estate agent, but to the clients we service.
1: How quickly after you became core did you decide that resale would be a part of this business as well? Because I think in the beginning, you know, selling, marketing, and advertising brand new condo buildings, and then all of a sudden, wow, we have all this potential resale opportunity. Uh, did that happen sort of quickly? I'm trying to remember you know, the
2: time frame there. Was that like a couple of years into the new business? No, that was part of my initial business plan. My evolution as an on-site salesperson really came from my expertise as being a resale agent. I think that a very important thing that a lot of people don't understand is that this is one market. Buyers are looking for a home. Uh, generally, they don't differentiate between new development or a resale. If a, if a broker can find them the home of their dreams... Uh, regardless of the property that is in, whether it's a new development or a co-op or a condo, generally the buyer is going to buy that property. So my success as a, as a top-performing resale agent um, organically uh, turned me into a, an on-site agent because of my expertise and knowledge of the entire market. So Core was an extension of my business as an agent. So essentially, you know, from day one, I felt it was imperative to have a knowledge of the resale market so we could service our developer clients the right way. Um, you know, when we sit down with our developer clients, it's very important that we know what's going on in the condo, co-op, and townhouse market because it's all one market. We don't want to be isolated and advise developers based on spreadsheets, uh, which are really have no relevance to the day-to-day you know, market trends. Um, So that from day one, I decided, you know, this was going to be a resale company and a new development company. It just so happened that a lot of the developments we won and worked on initially were very high profile. So we got a lot of press and exposure from those development properties. But from day one, we were doing resales. All right, let's hold it there. We'll come right back after this break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America
1: Variety Channel. Don't go away. We are staying on live uh, with the Facebook uh, feed, so don't go away on both sides. We'll be right back.
0: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
2: In Manhattan real estate, no deal is ever the same. Different clients have different needs. What always comes back to me, though, the number one compliment that I receive is honesty. And really, this is what matters the most to me. They feel that I'm their number one advocate. Without honesty, I don't see how you can be successful in this business. I'm Heather McDonough with CORE, and this is what I do.
0: now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back talking to Sean Osher, who
1: is the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Core Real Estate here in New York City, the firm that I work for. And in the break, uh, Sean, we were talking a little bit about marketing and and the focus that Core places on marketing, the importance, rather, that Core places on marketing, and how I believe, and, and lots of people that I, I talk to in the industry, feel like it, it's it's your cornerstone. You you have made this company what it is because of the focus on the presentation of our company. Tell us a little bit about why that's so important. We were just talking about that during
2: the break, but I think it's important for our listeners to hear that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, as an industry, uh, we generally make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, when I started Core, I felt the bar was very low with the services that we were providing our clients from a marketing standpoint. You know, we'd be representing $10 million apartments and we'd have people taking photographs with their i well their Blackberries at the mm-hmm. time, or disposable cameras. Uh, so you know, I really wanted to put a, a an emphasis on how we were saying what we were saying and how we were representing the property and the clients we were representing. So we were the first company to really start using professional photography across the board. Um, our retail storefront was the first of its kind. Um, you know, we we brought to... It's still there. It's still there. It's still, you know, one of the most beautiful offices in town. Now mm-hmm. we have five offices. Mm-hmm. We pride ourselves on, you know, our presentation mm-hmm. and the way we represent ourselves and our clients. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of work. We pay a lot of attention to detail. And uh, we really, you know, look to continue to raise the bar. And we look to other industries for in- inspiration. Be- the attention to detail is, is so um, so present. Again, being a, a, an
1: agent at the firm, it's, it's just so present and it's so there. And I really think it does stand us out ahead of the rest of the people. So along those lines, in a past interview, you said technology earned uh, even the playing field for the small boutique business. In fact, it has given us the edge because we have the ability to react faster and innovate. We were the first company to embrace social media and online marketing and recognize it as a powerful medium to communicate. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. And um, how does that apply in 2016?
2: I mean it's continually continually evolving. There are there are more tools at our disposal now than ever before. You know, we're on Facebook Live right now. This is some this is a first for me. Thank Hello, you Facebook, Facebook Live. <laughs> um, but you know, it, and it's a great support system and I want to underline the word support because technology is a great tool. Um it's a very important tool. It's something that we've embraced and we were the first company really to embrace it, but you know, it's a tool. It's not a replacement. Um, you know, I still believe fundamentally this is a people business. Mm-hmm. This is a business about connecting to clients. It's a services business. Um, and that's a very important part of being successful in this business. Uh, so we use it as a tool, but not our entire platform for the company.
1: You're right when you say that it's not a replacement for anything because it is really still a people business, and the communication from people to people, person to person, is still paramount. But let me ask you about social media in particular. So technology has helped. Core has helped lots of companies get to where they are today. But social media, Facebook Live, how do you feel this is helping in our business today at
2: Core? Well, I mean, I think... The I mean, more, for example, do you tweet? I mean, do you... I am very active on Instagram, Facebook, and I tweet not as actively, but I am on Twitter. Um, you know, just like anything, I think that the more things evolve, the more we can use them, and uh, the more technology levels the playing field, it makes the world flatter, and by that I mean, you know, communication is a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 15 years ago, we didn't have, you know, computers to search data on. You know, now someone in Australia could be doing a search for a home in Manhattan instantaneously. It's phenomenal. So, and, and I think that's great. I mean, the, the fundamental platform that I opened Core on was a platform of transparency. Uh, you know, information is, is power. Um, and I think the more power we give to the consumer, the better our industry is going to perform and the higher the bar is going to be set. You know, we were the first company to embrace street easy as as a platform. Mm. Um, we were the first company to actually start delivering data uh, of contract signed information. Uh, and we got a lot of pushback from the people in the industry. Now, thankfully, everyone has embraced it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, transparency is a key to our success and uh, a very important component of being an expert in this business when i mentioned earlier in the in the uh, interview that you were a pioneer in this industry that's pretty
1: much what i was talking about because you did things that others weren't doing the uh, the larger more traditional firms maybe weren't comfortable doing but you just set out there to get it done and it got done, and what happened was, it became an industry standard, or everybody is adopting the same, you know, rules. Let's talk a little bit about Selling New York, the HGTV uh, program that you starred in for several years. Actually, uh, it was running; it ran for about four or five years, right? I don't remember it ever being
2: officially canceled, so I know it's not running anymore. But was it on for four or five years? I think it was on for five years. It was one of the highest-rated TV shows at the time. Um, it's still on, apparently Netflix, and I still get stopped in the street. Yeah. So it's good to know that I still look the way i did when i was filming it <laughs> i haven't aged too badly No, you um, haven't but that was back in
1: 2010 correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. tell us a little bit about you know about your your participation there you you, you were sharing the, the the screen with warburg realty the clyers clyer residential and core so what was the impetus for core and or sean osher to participate in this i thought very well done show compared to some of the other programs that have come since those days
2: thank you well we, we were approached by a couple of different um, you know stations and channels and uh, asked to participate in in shows when HGTV came to us um, it resonated with us as a company because I felt it aligned very much with our brand which was that the show was to be about the real estate not necessarily the, the characters who make up the transactions. Uh, so that's something that I felt very comfortable with. I felt that we could help our clients, we could help the company, and we could show the world how we conduct ourselves and some of the creative things we do and, and some of the marketing initiatives we um, you know, create to sell property successfully.
1: It's interesting that you say that because I remember watching the show each week, and it was definitely focused on the property. It was definitely focused on the real estate or the project at hand, lots of new development um, uh, featured. And I remember saying, and I was already in the business, but remember saying I was learning something every week versus watching Histrionics and some of the other nonsense that goes on with some of the newer shows. You mentioned that it was uh, very close to your brand. Do you feel like it enhanced the core brand in marketing as the show has evolved, and then as it you know went off the air? Do you feel that it helped
2: in the overall branding of Core? Absolutely. I mean, we we got more exposure than we could have dreamed of by having a national you know highly rated national, in fact, global TV show. I mean, I've been stopped on the streets of Paris, Sydney, Australia, and San Francisco. Interesting. And people have said, you're Sean Asher from Core. Um, So I don't think there's any amount of money we could have spent in marketing or advertising that could have replaced that. Um, So that was very powerful for us. And I think the thing that I loved most about the show was that the property was the star. Mm -hmm. And for us as a company, that's how we look at our business. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in the business of selling real estate, uh, the agent is the key to selling the real estate, um, but the way we conduct ourselves is really to focus on presenting the real estate as the star. Absolutely. The emphasis is always on the property. And and again, I see that
1: as an insider now. And I didn't necessarily notice that before. Anyway, moving on to, to current times. As the city wakes from summer and the real estate market climbs out of its customary August slump, if we were even in an August slump, I'm not quite sure what the market is these days, it's a perfect time to look at what's in store for the rest of the year. So, um, And with recent reports softening in the sales and rental markets, as well as the 421A confusion, L-Train shutdown mania in Brooklyn, and uncertainty over the election uh, campaigns this year, suffice it to say the next few months are likely to be anything but boring. What do you think, what do you predict the market to be, for the balance of 2016 into 2017?
2: Well, I will say this, uh, after having done this for more than 20 years, uh, Manhattan residential real estate has never been boring. Um, (laughs) No, it's not. And the other thing I can assure you, it's never the same. You know, there are cycles, but no cycle is ever the same. So uh, I'm going to look at my crystal ball here and say that the the market, I think, will still be strong. I don't see any reason why it should weaken... Uh, any further? I mean, I think it's definitely softer now than it was last year. Absolutely, uh, but the fundamentals are still there. Uh, there's a lot of um, buyers with a lot of money who need places to live. This is still the greatest city from a residential standpoint Correct. in the world. Um, there's less uncertainty here than there is anywhere else. Yes, we have elections, politics, and, and you know, but but people are always concerned. And uh, you know, I think pricing—I don't see pricing appreciating. And I see absorption slowing down because consumer confidence is a little bit lower right now. I was going to ask
1: you about absorption, so it's a little slower, and it's going to stay that way. You think?
2: Well, no, I think it's going to. It always changes, right? It may. It's. We've seen a slowdown. August was slow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could have been summer. You know, the thing about real estate agents, we can always make an excuse for something, (laughs) right? Especially when we're (laughs) looking back. Um, Exactly. But you know, June, July were actually relatively good. August was slow. Uh, I expect September to be good and the rest of the year to be, you know a very sound real estate uh, market. rumors of uh,
1: rebound and boom times into two thousand and seventeen. Do you see that? I, I, I kind of think that could
2: happen. Mm, I don't think we're going to see prices go up in two thousand and seventeen. I don't think you know, I think we saw such a quick appreciation. Um, and I think still we have a lot of overpriced property on the market, which is why it's not selling. Correct. You know, and I think in any market you can overprice property. So Correct. the problem in the market right now is there's not a lot of really nice property. You know, we have a lot of apartments for sale, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't think the inventory is that good when it comes to the quality of the inventory. How are we doing in new developments? Continue to keep getting better and better and better. The problem with new developments right now is that the basis for the developer is so high, they're right. going to have to come to market at a certain price to make a profit. Have we
1: overdeveloped, you think, Sean, in the past couple of years? Um,
2: oh, no. no. We, we're not even close to being overdeveloped. I mean, if we look historically at the numbers we're bringing to market, um, it's not historically high. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how quickly some of this new development that's highly priced will be absorbed into the market. We have only a couple of minutes left, unfortunately, and I hate when this happens because I can talk to you for a long time.
1: So, what's next for Sean Osher? I mean, you have come from you know a jazz musician to successful you know real estate tycoon, if I could use that word here in New York City, from from a selling agent to you know an owner of a company who's you know one of the the, the number one boutique firm in the city. What's next? I mean, do you continue you know doing what you're doing, or do you have you
2: know visions of doing more? Well, I'm still a jazz musician. Uh, I'm still the same Sean Asher that I was when I came here when I was 21 years old with the backpack on my back. Um, You know, I'm still a real estate agent at heart. I love the art of the deal. I love rolling up my sleeves and getting involved in agents' businesses and helping them grow and share ideas and information to help them grow their business. Uh, And that's what I'm going to continue to do. I love working with developers and creating the highest and best use for a piece of real estate. I think, you know, my goal is to continue to be creative, because uh, when I stop being creative, that will be the death of me. Um, I want to make sure that every day is a new day with some exciting you know, opportunities, whether it's to create a new piece of property, create a deal. Um, and I think that's an important part of the spirit of what moves me. You're in it,
1: and you're going to stay in it. All right facebook live thank you so much for being with us this morning uh we have to go to commercial break sean thank you so much hopefully you'll come back again you're listening to good morning new york on the voice america variety channel don't go away we're back with our panel we'll be right back
0: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
3: in the spirit of have couch will travel dr carol lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it but now there's an answer
0: VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco If you want to call into the program we're toll free in North America at 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788 Now, back to the show Okay, everybody, we are back, and the panel is joining me here. Oh, my God, I'm staticky.
1: Anyway, before we get with the panel, I just want to read a couple of little things. Sunday marked the 15th anniversary of the 2001 terrorist attacks that claimed the lives of nearly 3,000 people, and there were memorial events reflecting grief, loss, and anger. On September 11th in 2001, Al-Qaeda terrorists hijacked four passenger planes, crashing them into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center here in New York City. The Pentagon in Virginia and a field in Pennsylvania. September 11th brought Americans closer, however, briefly, as many looked to one another for strength, right. courage, and comfort. It's hard to believe that 15 years have passed since the fateful day that changed all of our lives in ways we never could have imagined. No matter how much time goes by, we'll never forget where we were and what we were doing on the morning of September 11th when the news broke that the first plane had hit the World Trade Center. And that that's why we need to take mm-hmm. today, take a moment, To remember all of those who lost their lives in the attacks and also the loved ones they left behind who are still grieving every single day. And I can say that I had lost 26 people that I knew um, fairly well on that particular horrible day. So for me, it's always a, a nasty remembrance, but something that we shall never forget, as they say. And um, just wanted to point that out today because I couldn't um, let an anniversary like that go by without. So good morning, everybody. How are you all today? Good morning. Good morning. 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 Did you listen to Sean Osher? Yes. Yes. Of course. We did. He's terrific, isn't he? Yes. While we were stuck in traffic. Yeah, while well, well, yes, while we were stuck yes, in traffic, we texted text. I couldn't believe I know, it. I know, I know. But
4: we, yes. yeah, yeah, we took a via together. <laughs> there you go. We, we Part of yeah, crime yeah these we're days. Days. yeah, we're we're early morning friends, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the no, no kind of. Plus, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <Thank> Radio <laughs> Family, you never know is right. Anyway, it's now Lundgren's birthday today, oh, so we yes! want to say Happy Birthday, birthday to Happy Birthday, buddy. We're not going to. We're having tequila shots in his honor as you be. We should have thought of that, my days. Anyway, we're here with Phil Horrigan from leasebreak.com, now Lundgren from Compass, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Deborah Hoffman from Town. So everybody's been good. uh, How is the marketplace uh, these days? I'm seeing a little bit of a pickup, uh, a little bit more activity uh, getting into the September, you know, new season, whatever. Am I, I was sure going to say way? one thing I've
3: noticed out about you guys, but a lot of buyers out of the woodwork, like, and sellers kind of saying, "Hey,
5: looking to buy, thinking of selling this is
3: good, which kind of just just in the last week or two, which is, is I, surprising to me.
5: I want to throw something really interesting out there. We had a meeting in our office last Wednesday. And my manager looked on Urban Digs, which we have discussed here. We've had the owner of Urban Digs on the show here. Noah. Correct. Noah, yes. And she looked on Urban Digs on Monday to see the inventory. So last Monday, the inventory for the whole city was 4,002 apartments. 4,002 two. apartments on the market. On, on the market last Monday. Got it. Wednesday, the day of our meeting, she went on the site again. There were 4,222 apartments in two days. 220 apartments came on the market now I did not check today or I haven't checked the last couple days because thank goodness I've been very busy but it would be interesting to see what the inventory is right now along the lines of what Phil just said uh, I would think that's probably it. Could be related also mm-hmm.
3: to just you know after yes, August I, after yeah, yeah. Labor Day a bunch yeah. of because if you look at last year I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something similar. Yes, but still interesting trend to take. Yeah, a look I at. just thought it was interesting. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I agree with both sides of the buyers and the sellers, but I always had a strategy that buy sorry that sellers should put their apartments on the market right after Labor Day because the market really picks up. But I've actually gone against that. These days, because of what Deborah just said, I notice every time I throw, scroll through Manhattan new apartments on the market on Street Easy, um normally, there's about two pages of new apartments, you know, within six hours of a day. And in the last two weeks after Labor Day, it's been six to eight pages of new apartments. so so I actually feel that because so many people are going on the market, I tell my sellers to maybe even wait a week or two. Um, but I, I definitely feel that uh, like me, there are a ton of sellers I coming. Did that, actually, I did actually read that right?
6: information. Yeah. Go ahead, because I was I, I just listed a one bedroom in uh 405th, which the pictures are I beautiful. Saw that yes, yes, yes I'm beautiful. very impressed. by I it. That, I loved your yeah. little
5: flip video. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> I really
6: did. Thank I'm not you. even asking how we did that, yeah. but I like that too. It was <laughs> the, fantastic. Uh, we'll talk about it after. But the owner is from Hong Kong, and I was actually when I had a conversation with her, I said, you know what, I I really think that you should list it, you know, after the Labor Day weekend because. Um, for a number of different reasons, and what she said is, you know what? She goes, when I go apartment shopping, I go during holidays, and I think if you list it before, you're mm-hmm. probably going to capture those mm-hmm. people. And I was like, you know, what? that's a really interesting concept. So I actually listed it on September one, and then, which was I think it was last Thursday mm-hmm. before
5: Labor Day. Yeah, right. and
6: I uh, had a showing from a guy, a request from a guy from Miami who was just coming up, going apartment hunting for during, during Labor Day. Which I was, I was there's, a little shut. Nothing really material. I, sell to that. Yeah, I right. didn't sell it. But uh, not yet. Not yet. It's it. only been on the market. For like okay. Is eight, that there, a condo? There, I'm serious. True. Yeah. A name, yeah.
1: <laughs> I wanted to ask, you know, on the heels of that, you know, question because I agree with all of you. But you know, back in the day, you know, uh, people used to say there's there's a certain window between Labor Day and Christmas that you want to try and capture so each day that you can get that on the market sooner mm-hmm. made a little more sense because mm-hmm. you're marching down to the Jewish mm-hmm. holidays you're exactly. marching down to Thanksgiving and, especially and this you're marching year. down to Christmas mm-hmm. especially,
4: especially this year because right. the Jewish holidays are late, are late. Yeah. and again, that's again becoming again a thing year. with like, a new listing I'm putting on the market yeah. because they wanted early October and I said well that's correct. you have to be in between <laughs> the two <Yeah>. because <laughs> they're very close Absolutely. and it's yeah
3: because yeah, once the Jewish holidays hit after that you're in you're in Thanksgiving well then yeah. you're
1: almost in Thanksgiving so That's why the the urgency (coughs) to get on the marketplace supersedes at Halloween. Halloween, Where if you're me, I dress up like
4: Frederick Eklund for the open house.
5: (laughs) (laughs) To wear stilts?
4: (laughs) Always, always. Actually, I have a person holding me up. My assistant holds me up.
1: (laughs) All right, let's move on. So there are enough real estate agent (laughs) horror stories out there to make prospective renters, buyers, and (laughs) sellers feel overwhelmed at the prospect of finding the right match to represent them. We've talked about this before on the program, but important to bring it up again. Fortunately, you don't have to settle for someone who won't advocate for you as long as you know how to spot the heroes from the zeros. And in this business, I hate to say, you know, regardless of what companies people work for, there are lots of zeros out there. What are the qualities to look not for when hiring room. an agent? <clears throat> not in this room. Record. Not in this the room. The deplorable
6: 50%. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are the qualities to look for when hiring an agent? It turns out that choosing the right one for you is a lot like dating, though fortunately, no long term commitment is required. So you know what do our sellers look, and even actually our buyers? what do they look for or should they be looking for when they are out there if they don't already have a relationship with someone looking for an agent? What are the qualities of a of a top agent or a good agent? as Sean was saying, it's really about the properties. It's really about the the business of real estate. And the act, the agent is just really representing that. So, what should we be looking for? I always like to.
4: I, I'm a you know <laughs> obviously Vince and I work at the company that Sean created and I am a huge believer in what Sean um, you know puts out there but to support him yes I always like to make it clear to people that it's really about the property it's not about me and it's not about you it's about the property absolutely and um, but if you want to make it about us as brokers I like to say there's three strikes and you're out Just so, (laughs) yeah, right. I, I, I'm trying to condense as much as possible, but I love, um, you know, you have to have credentials. I mean, you you shouldn't put too much emphasis on it, especially, you know, me for example, because I'm not going to have a thousand sales in my book. Because I haven't been doing it for twenty years, um, like Deborah, for example, and <laughs> <laughs> or Vince. but right, exactly. But you know, you have to somehow look at what the history is and how successful you are at selling certain things. Um, but of the three, I like to always focus most on. You need to have a connection with a seller. You need to be able to have a relationship where you're not too close but you're not too far. So I always end my quote quote pitches by saying I promise you you will be more than comfortable and confident texting me emojis. <laughs> and you and that is a big positive because you should be able to text your broker
1: and not feel awkward doing it. I totally agree with that, but we have to talk about at some point these emojis because, you know, <laughs> there's a whole whole background uh, to these emojis. I mean, I know some of the basic ones, but I certainly don't know all of them. And sometimes, whether it's from a client or a friend, I'll get an emoji sent to me, and I'm like, "What does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> is this a good one or a bad like one? Three or emojis a- in a row. What is that equal? Right, exactly. right, right. Exactly. So somebody better put a book out on explaining exactly what these are. But, but I agree with you. I think real estate should, emojis, <laughs> all of the above. But I think I think you should be able to feel comfortable in uh, texting. Or calling or emailing your agent, and I think the agents who you know kind of say they don't want that kind of activity are probably not the ones who are on the leading edge, or as I used to say, the bleeding edge of you know <laughs> reality, because this is where we are today, and we're working with you know millennials, we're working with you know all types of uh, age groups, and communication different. As Sean was saying earlier, you know technology is a cornerstone, you know the evolution of real estate, and believe it or mm-hmm. not, it's still that way. Even though you know I sometimes protest all these new things because they happen too fast. They are the best thing to ever, you know. Can I say one thing? I was
3: was going to say that I had a seller recently ask this question of me and I thought it was probably the best question that I've ever ever been put to me as a broker. And they said, here's what I want from you. I'd like to see your last five sales, what you suggested, what the initial price was, what the closing price was, and how long was on the market. Now, that is an intense question. However, However, it's very smart because we can talk, talk all we want. But results do matter, and there's almost no better way. Now, there's always some, you know, some that are maybe didn't sell for whatever reason, some specific. But to do that, you get an idea of what neighborhoods this broker focuses on. You get an example of because a lot of brokers also price things really high just mm-hmm. to get the listing. Mm-hmm. So, how long does it take for this broker to actually sell the apartment, and how quickly do they do it? I thought it was really interesting. I did get the listing, by the way. Yay! But, Congrats. But, uh, but anyway, I thought it was fascinating. He, he asked us of all the brokers that were pitching him. I'm wow. just to add it's on to It's a little what
1: intimidating th- also because intimidating. sometimes, you know, what you may need to respond back isn't always what they want to hear. Right. You're giving them the truth,
4: right. you know? Just to add on to what Phil said, and I'm not surprised. I agree with something you say because I love Phil and I think he's great the way he does. But um, I, I agree and I, I love when sellers are on top of their, their statistics, I like to say. But, I'll take it one step further. I recently, um, before I got the listing, the seller, it was down to me and a guy who recently sold the highest price per square foot in the building. And outside of the statistical aspect of it, they actually asked us both for our last three sellers contact info. And they wanted to call them and get references from them. And funny enough, I wound up getting the listing because even though I had never sold in that building and he just sold the highest, um, that apartment that he sold for the highest price square foot, the seller actually told my seller, current seller, that she wouldn't recommend him, even though he sold the highest price square foot. So you never. The relationship. There, There is always details behind that.
1: Well, wow. as Deb great, just said, it's about the relationship story. sometimes more than anything else. You can be, you know, pricing something at a higher price per square foot, but your, you know, bedside manner, so to speak, is not so great to work with. And you could be turning people off versus endearing yourself to them so they're going to be buying or whatever. So I get that. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Also, along the lines of what you just said, Vince, right before
5: um, we heard from Phil, which I, this is, this is amazing that we're getting such sellers that are so smart. You're talking about a web presence. And make sure the agents, their firm can have a web presence, but check them out. If they have no sales or they only have open listing rentals on their website, think twice because what I'm finding, and this shocks me, but not so much anymore, uh, there's the old stereotype of actors and actresses who are trying to break into the business. They wait tables during the day to make ends meet. Well, guess what? They're getting licensed as rental brokers, and I have run into more than my share of them, and they giggle and they laugh and they say, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just making ends meet and I'm not really that serious and I'm thinking, oh my God, you're poor client. <laughs> but then I look them up. The zeros their, as we talked about. With, and they're with, exactly, well some of them are with companies we all respect. Most of them are with companies that I'm ready to report to Rebney at the drop of a hat, which is the Real Estate Board of New York. But there's a lot of those people out there as well. So as a seller, as a buyer, as a renter, Do your homework. It's really the best thing for you.
1: Absolutely. We have to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. (laughs) VoiceAmerica.com One of the things that I love about my job is that every client's needs are different and every property is a new challenge. So recently I got a compliment from a young woman who we sold her $400,000 apartment in downtown Manhattan. And she wrote online, Patrick treated the sale of my $400,000 home as if it was a $10 million property. Do you have any idea how great that made me feel? I felt like a million bucks. Impeccable service designed for each client is what matters to me most. I'm Patrick Lilly with CORE, and this is what I do.
1: 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We are back, and I'm talking to Phil Horrigan from leasebreak.com, Niall Lundgren
1: from Compass, Matthew Cohen, Core Real Estate, and Deborah Hoffman from Town residential. So millennials, the generation born between 1980 and about 2000 have progressed further in higher education than any other generation before them. According to the White House's report on millennials, 47% of of This cohort has received a post-secondary degree, an amount unprecedented in American history. But while there's generally a correlation between educational attainment and income level, Americans under 35 have been notably slow to purchase homes. It's a lag that's particularly striking here in New York City, where young renters outnumber young homeowners four to one, well in cities like philadelphia and chicago those numbers are even closer so i say why how can they how can they overcome the expense in this town and purchase anyway so millennials they have a problem buying here obviously the prices are too high what what do we suggest to these people who really want to buy Mr. Millennial himself, Matthew <laughs> <laughs> Just made the cusp. Um,
4: as a millennial, I will say, having a couple millennial clients, especially one that is a very dear friend of mine who saw the apartment of his dreams in Dumbo on Sunday, and he actually decided to hold off because he just thinks the market's high. And as much as he loves it and he doesn't think it'll be affected by the market, he wants to wait it out a little bit. Um, He'd rather wait out the market than leverage a ton of money and get a mortgage when interest rates are so low. Um, So what I say to that is, I think millennials have this, they have this idea that they deserve it all and that they deserve the best and they should never be unhappy. And because of that, even though they have a ton of liquid cash, they like the flexibility of renting. And it, not only the flexibility, but I think there's a, there's a side of ego in it, in seeing that amount of liquid. And I think they like just having it accessible. Mm.
1: More so than owning a piece of the rock. So my generation, you know, Deb and I can look at each other and say, in our time, it was more important (laughs) to say we wanted to own a piece of the rock more than having the cash liquidity in the bank for, you know, a rainy day or whatever. I I mean, I remember my dad telling me all the time, invest in something, own something, buy something, you know, stretch a little bit. But it's always better to say that you own a piece of that rock than not. Well, what I've also, you know, to add on top of that not
4: only owning a piece of the rock they they like to as part of the ego you know they feel i've had this conversation with so many millennials where they'll i'll say to them you have too much cash liquid put it into something and they say no the idea is that i have a lot of cash liquid might as well just rent you know i have enough money, more than enough money to rent some great place. Um, And I hate to put it on myself, but I'm moving. And, you know, I will say I wouldn't have the opportunity to move into a brand new construction building if I wasn't.
3: On, on that point, isn't see, I love when we just like, uh, and I'm sure that a lot of this is true, but I love how we just like paint with a broad brush. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Generalize <laughs> like, yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. People. Very <laughs> general conversation. But, yeah, but I would say that uh, a lot of it, I think, just has to do with you know someone at that age, whether you're a millennial or what we what are we boomers? I'm not even a boomer. No. Anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. uh,
5: you and me, Vince, it, baby.
3: Jacks yeah. <laughs> um, X the, the middle yeah. section. Gen ex, yeah, I'm in the middle. <laughs> um, is that You know, when you our children,
1: Deborah. (laughs) Our children. When
3: you buy something, you need to be there for a long time. So when you're young and you're in the city, you're trying to make a name for yourself, make a career, you don't know where you're gonna be possibly in two or three years. You wanna be flexible. So when you buy something like we talked about last week, you kind of want to be in that place for Mm -hmm. the next at least five years. Otherwise, it could be a very risky investment. So are you ready to really say Yes, I I want to be in this place for five. I think in New York City it takes a little longer to make that decision. That's why people buy a little bit later, which makes sense to me. Well, also, just
4: a play tip. Sorry.
5: Oh, just one more thing. <laughs> go just, go go. Okay, just to wrap this all up with a nice little bow and. From that, <laughs> <laughs> is I I I've been working with a lot of millennials who are co purchasing with their parents, mm. and the dynamic is so fascinating because the millennials themselves, unfortunately, Vince and I in our generation kind of. Spoiled them a lot, so they have. Yes, they have egos, but it's more a. I lost my train of thought. A deserving. Yeah, 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 an an entitlement. Entitlement, yeah, exactly. They have an entitlement, and well, of course, I can buy because my parents are helping me, and of course, we want the moon and the stars and want everything. But once you sit down with not only the parents but the millennial children and explain how the process in New York works, they they get very confused. And it's very funny, they turn into children again and they start looking towards the parents. And many times the parents could be from out of the city, they could be from a very old-time ethnic family of my age and you know, baby boomers, and they're saying, Well, but this is how we did it. What do you mean we can't do it, you know, this way now? And I've I've had nothing but problems with this hand holding, and it we do the best we can. But I think the millennials and the parents have to open their eyes and listen to us as well, even though the millennials know so much and they're on every website and they're on Street Easy and Zillow and Trulia and everything. It's not always what's going to help them through the buildings.
4: And just to play devil's advocate on myself Mm -hmm. and Phil, um, to bring a completely different viewpoint up, I think it's a very interesting time, even though the market is getting a little high, because especially for millennials with what Phil said and not wanting to permanently be somewhere for a while, banks are offering five-year, even seven-year interest-only mortgages you know, what a great product for a millennial. What a what a great opportunity for a millennial to say, I'm gonna live somewhere for four years Absolutely. and pay an insanely low interest rate of like a two point four, some of them are offering without the principle of the mortgage. And I can be out of there in three or four years. You know, so I think there's a lot of different viewpoints. And as Phil said, we can't generalize it. But I love the topic of millennials because I think it's <laughs> such an interesting conversation. I
1: have to tell you, I do too, and I enjoy and really appreciate millennials because, you know, I find them in inspiring i find them very smart compared to some of the you know people you know age groups beforehand uh, i think you know if they do things correctly and if they live their lives correctly here in new york city i mean you know it's a, it's a whole different animal here they really have a lot of he- a lot ahead for themselves, uh, but they've got to play it right, and they've got to do right. And listen, you know, a lot of people say to me, "I want to buy right now." I can't. I have to rent for you know reasons that Matt was talking about before. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter as long as you know exactly what you want to do and set up that path. Going forward, you should be okay. But again, you know, I find them inspiring, and I find uh, millennials um, actually lots of fun to to be around and and, and to chat with. I mean, it's it's quite and, interesting.
4: And millennials, unfortunately, like myself, just don't have patience.
1: <laughs> so that's that's a whole other really, part of it. really. They don't want to go through
4: the two or three month co op process. Yeah. it's you know, they don't yeah. just don't have the patience. When Matt runs out of patience <laughs> in
1: text, he uses all capital letters. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you're right. I just <laughs> noticed that you're right. Well, I want to tell you,
1: I'm screaming. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. You are so funny. Anyway, that's all we have for today. That's Good Morning New York for the week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. Happy birthday once again to Niall Lundgren. Thank you so much, Sean Osher. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week.